millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host. Um, I didn't feel right, but I'm going to roll with it. All right. Uh, this week's show is going to be huge. If I, have, I have lots of things to share with you. And because I have so many things to share with you, the regular format of the show didn't make sense. So first up, we're going to listen to a segment from 60 Minutes on Herbert Dice, the CEO of um, Volkswagen. <laughs> We're going to break that segment down, which honestly won't take very long. And then we have a commercial um, from the Dawn Project. And if you don't know what the Dawn Project is, just a real brief kind of overview. It's run by Dan O'Dowd. And basically, Dan thinks that Tesla's full self-driving beta should not be operated on public roads with untrained drivers. So we're going to hear from... Uh, basically what what ends up being like a political style commercial so we're going to break that down and then we're going to get into some news and then from the news we're going to talk about the ford f-150 lightning launch and from there we're going to go into ford's earnings call so a lot to go over so i don't want to take a lot of time uh i don't want to waste a lot of your time so let's go ahead and jump into the herbert dice interview with Leslie Stahl from 60 Minutes. You know what I should say? Some of the parts that you're not going to hear, they talk about uh, the war in Ukraine. They talk about Nazis founding Volkswagen and they talk about EVs. And since this is an EV podcast and not a Nazi podcast, we're, we're just going to stick to the UV part of it. Our first clip is a fun one. Um, they're going to talk about some of Volkswagen Group's electric vehicles. And then you're going to hear Leslie's reaction when... Um, when they're in, when the Porsche Taycan, and you can imagine, uh, there, Herbert is just like launching this vehicle, showing off the Porsche's acceleration and torque. So let's go ahead and get into that clip. Including several electric cars. Audi. Audi. Porsche. Porsche Taycan. All electric here. four, all electric. We met Dees last month in Austin, Texas. He wanted to show us the new all-electric Porsche. We discovered that Dees likes to surprise you, oh my God. even jolt you, 
as when he took me from zero to 60 in a couple of seconds. This is so fun. All right. I just thought, I thought that was a fun clip. Um, that's a reaction that a lot of people have the first time they're an electric vehicle, even if it's one of the electric vehicles like the Model 3 Standard Range Plus, which doesn't necessarily have, as compared to other Teslas, the best acceleration time. Um, people are still shocked by how much acceleration is actually there. Next up, we're going to talk VW and why they're doing so poorly in the U.S. market. So let's listen to that. Under CEO Deese, Volkswagen is making an extra effort in the American market. In the 60s and 70s, everybody in the United States knew about Volkswagen, the Beetle, the minibus. But since then, Volkswagen has not done well in the United States. Why is that, do you think? It's difficult. First of all, I have to accept we lost ground here in the U.S. I think we... We didn't take the U.S. customer seriously enough. No, we tried to sell the European product here in the U.S. Volkswagen does brilliantly in China, in Europe, in Latin America. I mean, why put the effort here? This is such an important market. And there always have been discussions also internally. Shouldn't we give up the U.S. because we are losing money? We are going nowhere. Exactly. Uh, no, we have to come back in the U.S. We have to become relevant in the U.S. And we are in the right way. Okay, I'm going to be honest here. I didn't know VW was doing poorly in the U.S. And I mean, that's news to me because I see Volkswagens everywhere. Like I owned a Volkswagen and I will agree that it is annoying that they just wanted to ship the European version of their car here to the United States. I had a Volkswagen Jetta. I can't remember which year it was. Maybe it was a 2000 Volkswagen Jetta. Uh, Might have been a little bit older than that. Might have been a 98. And the cup holders, there was no cup holders. There was a um, little... Uh, like uh, looked like a space bar that was right above the radio. You push that button in and the cup holders would like slide out and you couldn't really, I like to drink a lot of coffee. Um, you couldn't put a decent sized coffee cup in this cup holder that would slide out. Like you could put a small coffee cup from like, um, from um, like circle K in there. But if you put a big coffee cup in there, it was kind of top heavy. So it was not the best experience in terms of um, drink holding. But other than that, I love the car. And it's one of the few cars that I wish I still owned, to be honest with you. All right. Now, let's go ahead and jump to the next clip, which is how Volkswagen, how, how Volkswagen is moving towards electrification. So let's listen to that. You know, in the United States, the best-selling vehicles are trucks. As far as I know, you do not have plans to make an electric truck for the American market. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) He's committed to having at least half his entire fleet be electric by the end of the decade and to eliminate dozens of combustion engine models. We have to decarbonize the world because climate change is happening. And to decarbonize the automotive sector the only way, feasible way forward is electrification. You're going to have to change the engine, the transmission, yes. even the design. And they say old dogs don't learn new tricks. That's exactly what we're trying. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it is, a, it is a big challenge. And historically, there haven't been too many cases where the 
successful companies in the old, old world could demonstrate that they are still successful in the new world. And you have so many competitors in the electrification area. Yeah, it's really the new competitors which are especially challenging for us. Now coming from software background, battery background, Apple being said to entering at some stage, no? mm-hmm. those are probably the competitors we have to take most seriously. To compete, Volkswagen is trying to recruit thousands of software and battery engineers worldwide. They just opened a new battery facility in Chattanooga. They don't make the battery cells yet. A Korean supplier does that. For now, Volkswagen just arranges them to fit in their cars. We will get into the battery business. We will build more plants in America because it's a core necessity. If you're a car company... You're a battery company. You're a battery company. You're a software company. All right. The first thing I want to address here is that Herbert Dice was saying that they are not building a VW truck in the U.S. yet. Right. So we know, and I have an article about this later on in the show, that Ford and VW are working together on uh, the platform for an electric truck. We know this. I'll talk about it more in the article. Um, we also know from the earnings call that Ford is planning on building a big EV plant in Tennessee where they will build some sort of new electric vehicle truck. VW has a plant in Tennessee. And are those two things connected? I, I don't know, but it is it is interesting. That's all I'm saying. All right. In the next clip, we are going to hear them talk about supply chain issues And then uh, VW has a plant in the district in China where the Uyghur Muslims are being um, not treated very well. Let's just put it that way. So let's hear what Herbert has to say on this. The business model of global companies like Volkswagen is coming undone as the pandemic has strained long supply lines, leading to shortages in key components like semiconductors. And in February, the company was stung by the perils of shipping when a fire sank a cargo of 4,000 of its cars. As if all that's not enough, COVID is disrupting Volkswagen in its biggest market. What percent of your sales come out of China? Uh, 40% roughly. Almost half? Yeah. But Volkswagen's operation in China has come under heavy criticism because one of its plants is in the home province of the Uyghur Muslim minority. The area where your factory is is where Uyghurs are being re-educated. They're in detention camps. Do you worry that the message is sent that you're okay with what's going on in that part of the world? I think that's not the message we, we are sending, no. We can make sure with our people that there is no forced labor, that people are treated equally You're in sure our plant. You're sure of that? Yeah, absolutely sure. Do you feel in any way any pressure to keep that firm open from the Chinese government? We want to keep it open. I think local people are much better off if we stay. Before COVID, I have even planned to visit the plant myself. Yeah. Um, will you do that? Yeah, I will do that. I will definitely visit the plant. Okay, 40% of... Volkswagen sales are from China alone. That is insane. I never would have thought that. I actually would have thought it would go in order of like Europe and then North America and then everywhere else. I'm I'm very shocked that that's the case. And then um, 
I've covered this a lot and I've talked about it in the past and I'm not going to hit it, but the having a plant in the same district where the Uyghur Muslims are, are pretty much um, in like internment camps. uh, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a good look. And I mean, dealing with China as a whole, um, this includes all companies, Apple, Tesla, you know, Dell, all of these companies that are dealing with China, they seem to just kind of uh, overlook uh, that this is actually going on in, in China. And I, I, from the outside, it doesn't look like they're doing much to prevent it. They're keeping it out of their factories, but they're not really putting any sort of pressure on China not to do this to their own people, which is appalling. Okay. Um, this is our last clip here. And I kind of thought this was interesting. Did you know that VW was the number two EV seller behind Tesla? I had no idea. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty interesting. I would have thought it was Hyundai, to be honest with you. So let's go ahead and, and, and listen to this clip. For all the obstacles in getting electric cars off the ground, war, pandemic, engineer shortages, one thing is working in Volkswagen's favor. Rising gas prices make electric vehicles more appealing. Last year, Herbert Deese sold more electric cars of all types than anyone except Elon Musk. How close are you in terms of selling electric cars worldwide to Tesla? I'll be a second, yeah, worldwide. So Tesla is ahead. By a Tesla, mile? Or Tesla close? is quite ahead currently, and they're growing fast, I have mm. to admit. He's taking more risks than we can. He is now building a plant in uh, Berlin. It's I 200 kilometers that. from our plants. Oh, my goodness. And I think goodness. it's very healthy for us no, to have you a new do? competitor. Yes, definitely. There was criticism from your workers that you're setting him up as the benchmark and talking about it, and they don't like it. Yeah, actually, you're right. They don't like it. They don't like it. Okay. (laughs) You know what I came away with watching this segment was how much that um, I found that I liked Deese. He seemed like a very genuine human being. Now, I don't don't know him, but I like him for kind of the same reasons that I like Elon Musk, because with... For all of his faults, Elon is a genuine person. Like, it, it doesn't seem like he's shady in a way that you think of a used car salesman as shady, like just the stereotypical used car salesman, right? So, yeah, I, I thought this was a really good segment. Let's take some time and jump into what looks very much like a campaign ad. So, I mentioned this earlier in the show, but just to recap, Dan O'Dowd is the founder of the Dawn Project. And Dan O'Dowd is a, a software developer. He's a, he owns a software company in Santa Barbara. And he does not believe that Tesla should be testing full self-driving on public roads with untrained drivers. Interesting enough, uh, Dan's software company is, um, they do some work for other companies that may or may not be involved in full self-driving type activities, autonomous driving. So let's keep that in mind um, right at the beginning, right at the top here. So what I'd like to do is I would like to play the commercial in it, in its entirety. Now, I understand this is video and I'm doing an audio podcast, but I don't actually think you need to, to see it to get the gist. So we're going to listen to it one time and then I'm actually going to break it down for you 
and tell you what's kind of going on in the scene and just kind of give a little bit more context because I don't think this is a good video. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I don't think this is a good video. Um, and I think it's flawed for many reasons. But let's go ahead and and we'll listen to it first and then, then I'll give you my thoughts. I'm Dan O'Dowd and I approve this message. You are watching actual videos of the Tesla full self-driving technology as recorded by the drivers. From turning too tightly and hitting a pylon, to swerving toward a pole. Jesus! Watch the bicyclist on the right almost get hit before the driver takes over. Sometimes it seems that Tesla doesn't want the driver to take over. I'm trying. This driver had to hit the brakes when the Tesla didn't understand a detour sign. Okay. Here it almost hit a truck. Obviously I had to take over. And here it swerves into an oncoming lane. Look at that. Often the Tesla doesn't know what it wants to do. <laughs> what is it doing? Or just doesn't know how to turn. Oh, Jesus. Oh my God. Tesla's full self-driving software. For drivers and pedestrians, it's unsafe at any speed. <laughs> Tell Congress to shut it down. From turning too tightly and hitting a pylon. <laughs> this first clip... Um, was was something I've already shared with you. It came, uh, let's see, it was recorded or posted on February 4th, 2022. So not all that long ago. A driver was driving through San Jose and they made a right turn and they hit a little plastic pylon. Very little damage was done to the vehicle. They were in full self-driving mode. Interesting fact, the, the, the person driving the vehicle or the person in the driver's seat was an actual Tesla employee, and he got fired for doing this, which I don't think is right. But it's very clear that Dan O'Dowd wants to present this as, he wants to present this in a certain light, right? So, like I said, I, I want you to pay attention to the dates. The first date was February 4th, 2022. So, let's go ahead and go into the next clip. To swerving toward a pole. Jesus. Okay, um, this this was actually accurate. Uh, the driver was driving down a side street and the full self-driving did swerve towards a pole. However, the video was uploaded on 10-15-2021. So October 15th, 2021, which, you know, if you've been following Tesla's full self-driving uh, beta updates, like there have been several updates since that happened. So may that may or may not have happened in, in Tesla's most current update, which our first clip was from February 4th, 2022. And then that goes to our second clip, which is the swerving to the pole, which was October 15th, 2021. So quite a distance a span in time there. Let's jump to the next one. Watch the bicyclist on the right almost get hit before the driver takes over. All right. The date on this clip is... Uh, February 8th, 2022. So we went from February 2022 to October 2021 back to February 2022, right? So um, this clip, the car did swerve toward the bicyclist, but the car did not almost hit the bicyclist. It may or may not have hit it if the driver wouldn't have intervened. I, I couldn't tell you. Um, but the bicyclist was far enough away where they weren't in danger. Like it wasn't like the car was inches away from hitting this bicycle list. They were actually, you know, quite a few feet away. So I just want to put that out there. 
Um, let's see. Let's let's jump into the next clip here. Sometimes it seems that Tesla doesn't want the driver to take over and try. So this clip has a, a guy driving on a side street, and there's a, a UPS truck um, in his lane, and the car is obviously alarming. And then it looks like the driver can't get the car out of the full self-driving mode. Um, he's trying to, he's vigorously shaking the steering wheel. I, I don't know if this one's real because I know that if you put your foot on the brake, it takes you out of full self-driving mode just from my experience with it. Or if you give it a nice good tug one way or the other, it'll take you out. So I don't believe this one. I think this one's nonsense, to be honest with you. But let's listen to our next clip. Oh, by the way, that one, the driver doesn't want to take over. That happened in December 6th, 2021. So we got a big update on right around December 25th, I think it was. All right, let's move on to our next clip. This driver had to hit the brakes when the Tesla didn't understand a detour sign. Okay. All right. The detour sign incident happened on October 11th, 2021. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the car did not understand a detour sign. I don't know that any car, even a, um, Waymo at this point would understand a detour sign, but the car did have to be manually taken over by the driver. So it wouldn't hit the detour sign. All right. Let's jump into our next clip. Here it almost hit a truck. <laughs> Obviously, I had to take over. All right. This one was taken on February 1st, 2022. Um, in this one, he almost hit a, a truck. But here's the thing. Um, it looks like the truck just made a left turn in front of the Tesla. I don't think it was the fault of full self-driving. Um, the car may or may not have stopped because this truck uh, made the left turn in front of the car. But it, really, this was the truck's fault. It wasn't the Tesla's fault. But, um, you know, if I could you know, give some props to Dan O'Dowd. This is a good reason why you should have a driver in, in, in the seat, um, paying attention to what's going on and monitoring, monitoring the full self-driving because in only one instance, which was when the driver hit the pylon, was there an incident? All the other things, the driver was able to, um, negate the emergency, mitigate the emergency is what I should say. So let's go ahead and jump into the next one. And here it swerves into an oncoming lane. Look at that. Often the Tesla doesn't know what it wants to do. <laughs> what is it doing? Um, in this one, the Tesla was doing something very weird. And that makes this is accurate. Um, but the driver was still able to take control of the vehicle and, and mitigate whatever incident may or may not have happened because the Tesla was just confused. And we'll go ahead and jump into our final clip here. Or just doesn't know how to turn. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. And this final clip, uh, this final clip uh, was accurate. Uh, the Tesla was having a very hard time with the turn, but it was taken back in October 26th, 2020, which was right about the beginning of the beta. So, Dan O'Dowd is trying to uh, get his point across. However, I don't think he's doing a very good job of it. So here's what I would suggest that he he do. And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I would suggest that he hires an independent company, right? You can hire an independent company and still get kind of what you want out of it. But he hires an independent company. He gives this company 
let's say, three or four Model Ys, the cheapest Model Ys with full self-driving. He gets them on the beta. And then just let this independent company run an actual test and and actually do, you know, like actual statistics work and science type work. Um, that doesn't make me sound very smart, but you, you know what I mean? Like actually, you know, see how the car is progressing both positively and negatively and don't rely on YouTube videos. Like if you're saying that these people are untrained to drive, uh, or untrained to, to use full self-driving during the beta, get some trained drivers and have them use it and, and have, you know, data scientists there and actually put together something that's compelling. Cause right now this is lazy work and I wouldn't let my kids turn this in because it's so lazy. And I, I think Dan O'Dowd honestly should be ashamed of himself because if he, if he's, and he owns Tesla's, he'll, he'll tell you right out from the get go. But this is not a, this is not, this, this, this is, this is, um, this is low hanging fruit. Very lazy. Dan, do your homework and do a good job and, and write neat. And, you know, actually present the data the way it should be presented in a compelling way. What this is, is nonsense. It's garbage. Be better. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to climb down. If you give me a second from my high horse here and plant my feet firmly on the ground and do some news. This week's going to be a little bit of a flip. Normally we just talk about general EV news in the, in this segment, and then we'll talk about Tesla news. But first, we're going to talk about Tesla. So let's go ahead and jump into it. This isn't Tesla news exactly, but SpaceX's Starlink and Hawaiian Airlines will partner on in-flight internet. So that's really exciting. Now, this isn't going to happen tomorrow. This is going to be sometime probably implemented sometime next year. Initially, the Wi-Fi will be free to customers and maybe forever, but it, they've committed to at least initially it'll be free to customers. So that's pretty interesting. You know, Hawaii is one of my favorite places in the world to go. Usually we hang out on the big island between Kona and Waikoloa. I, I really love Hawaii. I love the people there. I love the beauty. I love the water. I mean, it's just kind of like my happy place. And the next time we decide to go to Hawaii... If this partnership is still in place, I would happily pay, you know, a little bit more, not a lot more, but a little bit more to fly on Hawaiian Airlines to experience this because I think it's actually pretty cool. You know, when the war in Ukraine began, SpaceX sent a bunch of Starlink systems to Ukraine just to help out. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, when they sent those systems, they were free. Well, now Tesla is sending power walls to Ukraine to help medical clinics overcome intermittent power. So I think this is great. I think Elon gets a lot of grief, and we're going to talk about some of that grief here in a minute. But I think Elon gets a lot of grief for um, just his overall antics. Like, he's he just does weird things sometimes. But he also does a lot of good things, like when Puerto Rico was going through their hurricanes, they sent a bunch of Tesla solar panels and I think they sent some power walls too to help kind of like bolster 
communities in Puerto Rico. And I, I'm pretty sure, and I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure they don't, they send them for free. And I think they should be commended for doing so because this is, this is great. This is awesome. I'm, I'm very happy that they do this kind of thing because they do it a lot. They do it a lot more than people give them credit for. Elon's way more generous than people give him credit for. Now, having said that, <laughs> let's talk about Elon is now officially buying Twitter. And honestly, I am, I'm kind of shocked at how upset some people are. Like, I'm not sure that Elon's the best person to own Twitter, but I also don't think he's going to burn it down to the ground. Like, $44 billion is a lot of money to lose. Like, it's in his best interest to make Twitter the best place that he possibly can. And alienating people and making them flee the platform does not help with that. I don't think, like, I, I, I think Elon is a little crazy but I don't think he's crazy enough to burn $44 billion for giggles. I don't think he's going to do that for giggles. Maybe $44 million, but not $44 billion. That's a lot of money. So here's what I think Elon's going to do. I think he's going to take it private. I think he's going to make a bunch of changes, which may or may not make the service better. And then I think he's going to make it public again. He'll sell 49% of his stock, keeping 51%. And he'll likely, you know, make $20 billion more than he paid for it just by selling half the stock. And then he owns the other 51%. That's what I think. I don't know if this is the, the case, but that's, that's kind of what I think. All right. This is our final Tesla story. And it's really more of an Elon story. Elon has been talking a lot about the Security Exchange Commission and the trouble that he got in simply by saying that he was going to take Tesla private with funding secured. Well, this week we got some leaked text messages. Ooh, that was hard to say. It took me several takes to get that right. Anyway, we got these text messages between Elon and Saudi Arabia's public investment fund manager. Um, I, unfortunately, I didn't write his name down. I don't know why I didn't. So I probably couldn't pronounce it anyway. So it's probably best that we go this way. Anyway, in this leaked interaction, it looks like the Saudi Public Investment Fund, I think it's just called the PIF. So that's how we'll address it from now on. It looks like they were interested in taking Tesla private. But from what I read, and I'm not going to read the text here. You can go find them if you want, or I'll put the link in the show notes. But from what I read from the text, it looks like the PIF was definitely interested in taking it private. However, there was nothing in the text messages or the text thread that said that definitively. There was lots of like, hey, we still are interested. Let's Let's talk in person. Let's set up a phone call, that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to read the text here because you can go, um, I'll put a link in the show notes and you can go read them yourself. But it definitely sounds like they were interested in, in taking Tesla private. However, the text messages don't definitively say that they wanted to take a Tesla private. Now, we don't know what the private conversations were between Elon, Tesla, and the PIF. You know, um, there could have been a verbal commitment to take Tesla private. But from the, you know, the text messages, it, def it definitely sounded like it was going to go that way. And then Elon announced it. And then maybe the Saudis got cold feet. I don't know. But not too long after that, and it was probably weeks, if not a month after that, they invested in Lucid Motors. 
And let's jump to let's jump to Lucid Motors here because we have Lucid Motors news. Lucid is reportedly launching the Lucid Air in Europe this summer. So we don't have a specific time frame or what version of the Lucid Air they're going to be um, launching there. But you know, good news for Europeans. And then since since we're on the topic of Lucid in Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia has agreed to purchase 100,000 EVs from the automaker over the next 10 years. So the initial investment will be for 50,000 cars with an option to purchase another 50,000 uh, 50, cars. Now, I wonder if these vehicles will come straight from the soon-to-be-built billion-dollar, multi-probably billion-dollar factory Lucid just announced it'll be building in Saudi Arabia. My guess is it will. <laughs> I don't think they're going to build 50,000 vehicles in Casa Grande and then somehow ship them over to Saudi Arabia. That doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. But it sounds like that once that factory in Saudi Arabia is built, the first 50,000 cars are going to go directly to the Saudi government. You know what? Everything good begins with podfeet.com. And I can tell you that that is 100% true, really for two reasons. And the first one is, and I don't, I don't believe I gave him proper credit, but the Dan O'Dowd story that we talked about at the beginning of the show and the VW story that we got came as a recommendation from Steve Sheridan. So I don't, I didn't, sorry about that, Steve. I didn't give you proper credit, but thank you very much for recommending, recommend, recommending, recommending those stories, man. Someday uh, my brain is going to work as, as fast as my mouth. And I will actually sound like an intelligent human being when I do this. But our next story <laughs> came t uh, to me from Allison Sheridan. And it's a cool one. Chevy will begin building an EV version of the Corvette soon, soonish, so at some point. We didn't get an official date. They're going to start with the hybrid, boo, and then eventually the EV version will come soon after. But the Corvette EV version is currently called the E-Ray, which at first I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. But now that I, I've had a little bit to to kind of digest that name. It sounds dumb. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the E-Ray, but at first I was like, oh, that's a really good name. But I don't, I don't think Chevy don't use that name. Use it as a placeholder, but don't use it. Anyway, I want to thank Allison and Steve for always looking out and taking care of me. They're both just so nice. I can't say enough good things about them. Nikola Motors announced that production and shipment of the Nikola tray has begun. And anecdotally, I have seen the Nikola tray twice in as many weeks. Once on the Highway 101, it was going north while I was cruising south. And once on the 202, I was going east and it was going west. So I haven't, <laughs> I haven't really looked at it in, um, Great detail. I would really like to just pull up next to one of these guys and have like my wife or my kids just start snapping a bunch of pictures. But as it is right now, I've only seen it going the opposite way. But you can tell easily that it is the Nikola tray because it doesn't look like any other semi truck out there. And you know what? It's bigger than I thought it was. So let's just kind of run down the specs real quick. 
This bad boy is rocking a 350 mile range or 563 kilometers. It's got a 753 kilowatt hour battery capacity. The top speed is 75 miles an hour or 121 kilometers per hour. And it will go from, it'll charge from 10% to 80% in 120 minutes. Now, there are a lot of people who did not believe in Nikola. Um, and you know what? Rightfully so, because, and I defended this guy, but their CEO, Trevor Melton, was honestly not that good of a guy. He's kind of a creep. Allegedly. He was allegedly a creep. Anyway, um, but the Nikola team, I don't think, deserved all the hate because there's a lot of people that are working very hard to get these trucks out there. And they weren't the ones that were doing um, shady stuff. Or some of them were. Not all of them were. Let's just put it that way. Anyway, uh, congratulations to the Nikola team. And I'm, I'm hoping to see more and more of these on the freeways actually hauling freight and not just testing. Last story. Neo has officially produced 200,000 vehicles. Congratulations to the Neo team. That's pretty cool. But that's not our only Neo news. Neo is allowing customers who enrolled in the battery swap subscription to opt out. Now, if you don't know what this is, it's basically uh, you buy the car, but you subscribe to the battery. And then you could use these really cool battery swap stations where you basically drive your car into a tiny garage. It swaps the battery out with a new, fresh, charged battery. And then you drive out and you're gone. It takes about five minutes. It's pretty cool. It's like a battery as a service kind of a thing. There's a few people, according to Neo, and I'm guessing it's probably a little bit more than a few, but there's a few customers who started to regret subscribing to this battery battery as a service plan. So Neo is now allowing them to opt out and actually buy their battery, which I think is reasonable. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. 
absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, if you'd like to support this show, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. Um, if you look in the show notes, there's a link to a merch store. So I've got a co- couple coffee cups up there, which I'm going to be adding more to soon. But in addition to that, I also have a Patreon. So you can go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt or support kilowatt.com. And for a dollar, you can make the ads disappear. You can pay more if you want. You can you can pledge a higher number. But for one dollar, the ads disappear and you get all of the same benefits as you would with the other tiers. It's just how much you want to give. And all of the money goes back into the show. None of the money goes in my own pocket. All right, enough of that. Let's get back to the show. All right, let's go ahead and jump into our Ford F-150 launch segment, lightning launch segment. And uh, before we do that, I should say that the 2022 F-150 Lightning order books are closed. Basically, they've sold out of the Lightning. They're not building any more this year that you can actually buy. So that's interesting. Our first clip is going to highlight the Ford family. And when I say Ford family, I mean like people who actually work at Ford, not like the family of cars, but the people who actually work there and build these vehicles. And I thought it was it was a nice, touching segment. So let's go ahead and listen to it. I'm Megan Jigeski. I work at the Rouge Electric Vehicle Center. I specialize in the pre-delivery area, making sure trucks make it through end of line and out of the plant in a good working order. So I'm actually the 10th person in my family line to work at the Rouge facility, let alone Ford itself. Well, you've, your whole families have been a Ford family for many generations, yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I can relate. Are you fifth generation? I am. I'm fifth generation. My great-great-grandfather worked here at the Roos facility when it basically opened. So I'll bet he knew my, my great-grandfather. I'm, I'm one generation ahead of you, but <laughs> a lot of years ahead of you, too. All right. I included that clip because I kind of wanted to set the scene. Like, and I'm sure it's not everybody at Ford, but a lot of these folks have are multi-generational Ford employees. And the gentleman you heard Megan talking to, Megan Jayeski, was Bill Ford, a great-grandson of Henry Ford. And I think he's the C, the, the chairman of the board. I, don't, I can't remember what he does there. But anyway, he, he's kind of high up. And I, I kind of experienced this on a, on a, somewhat smaller level. I went to Ohio for a um, wedding and we had a a family get together just outside of Lordstown. And a lot of the folks that were at this family get together worked at the Chevy plant that was right around the corner, which is probably the Lordstown Motors plant now. But almost everyone I talked to at this party, and I, I'm not going to say there were, you know, hundreds of people there, but there was definitely in the high you know, 80, 90 people there. And a lot of these folks that I talked to worked or supported in some way that plant. So it's important to these towns. Like where I live in Arizona, the, the, there's not a, there's not one big industry that Phoenix or Tempe depends on. Like we have a lot of different things. We have Honeywell, we have U-Haul, we have a bunch of big industry here, but there's not just there's not one big factory that um, if it goes away, the town dies. And a lot of places in the you know Midwest are kind of like that. 
or or at least they were like i think um these areas are doing a better job at diversifying but back in the day you didn't really have to diversify because you had the big plant everybody worked there or did something that supported the people who worked at the plant or the plant itself and then you were able to you know make a good living but my experience you know meeting and talking to these folks who worked at that Chevy plant i was really struck by like how much pride they had in in what they did. Not to say that, you know, people I know in my normal life don't have pride in what they do, but but you could tell it was a point of pride. So I wanted to leave that in there because I, I think it's important. So the first clip we heard was a pre-packaged clip. They had this all ready to go. The next clip we're going to hear is Megan Jayeski again, and she is going to, this is now live at the event. So you're going to hear from her. So let's go ahead and listen to that. Please welcome F-150 Lightning Launch Supervisor, Megan Jageski. Good afternoon, everybody. All I can say is, wow, what an honor it is to be here. In a moment, you're going to hear from another multi-generational member of the Ford family, Bill Ford. The history we share shows why, for so many employees, Ford is a family company. My family came to America in 1906, and for over a century working at Ford, they have witnessed the birth of the automobile and have been a part of its evolution. The company gave my family a livelihood through the Great Depression and World War II. My great-grandmother, Mary, was a bench worker at the Highland Park plant. There is a long tradition of four generations of women in my family working at Ford. So in many ways, Ford Motor Company helped us achieve the American dream. I hope my great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, would be happy to see this moment in our history. I think Bill's great-grandfather would be too. On behalf of all of us on the F-150 Lightning team, we're so pumped to share this moment with you. All right, enough of the sentimental stuff. Let's go ahead and listen to Bill Ford in his opening remarks. Well, hi, everybody, and, and thank you, Megan. You know, families like yours are really what make Ford a special company. Five generations in your case. Uh, I'm the fourth. My daughter's the fifth and I hope we have a six coming up really soon. But Megan really is the result of all her family's dreams. And now she's do doing something beyond their wildest imagination. She's building this truck. And everybody, welcome to the Rouge. Thanks. <laughs> this has always been much more than just a factory. It's the beating heart of this company, a source of pride and opportunity for generations of American workers. And the Rouge has always been special to me personally. Here on a site that's more than 100 years old, we've built everything from the Model A to the Mustang to the F-150, the best-selling truck in America for 45 years in a row. And three and a half years ago, I stood here and I promised that someday when we built the best-selling electric truck in America, we built it right here. Now, that was pretty ambitious because we hadn't even broken ground yet on this facility. But our amazing team got it done. And the wait is over, and that day has arrived. Nice. 
This is history in the making, and it's something I've been dreaming about for a long time. Remember, there was a time not too long ago when some people dismissed the Rouge as nothing more than an old, polluted tract of land. Some executives said we should shut it down and walk away. But I would never allow them to throw away the heart of the Ford Motor Company. Instead, I pointed out my window at the Rouge and I said, if we really want to make a difference, let's make this the greenest plant in the world. And that's what the team did. And now, with the Rouge Electric Vehicle Center, the plant that defined the future of manufacturing in America is defining it again, all over again. This moment is every bit as important to this company and to this country as when the Model T first started rolling off the assembly line. Back then, we were the first company to bring automobiles to everybody. Now, we're the first company to build electric trucks for everybody, way ahead of anyone else. Well, that's not exactly true. Rivian is actually building an electric vehicle, electric pickup truck. It is very expensive, and they're having trouble with manufacturing, but they're building one. So it may not be for everybody, so that's maybe where he's, you know, that's the qualifier. But, you know, let's not count Rivian out, especially since Ford is an investor in Rivian. Let's move on. Lightning is the only all-electric truck that's built for tough built for America, and built right here. Uh, As ambitious as it was to build this truck, the truck itself is actually even more ambitious. This truck is going to change everything. It has capabilities that nobody has ever seen. So even if you've been an uh, F-150 owner for years, you've never experienced anything like lightning. Lightning will change the way America works. People are going to love this truck. And I just want to thank all of you for making it possible. I can't fully express the gratitude and pride that I feel today for the ingenuity and hard work of the Ford and UAW teams for all the painstaking labor of everyone at Dearborn Stamping, the Van Dyke Electric Powertrain Center, the Rossonville Components Plant, and everyone right here at the Rouge Electric Vehicle Center. Today is your day. I know it meant a lot of late nights, long weekends, and time away from your family. But you all make generations of workers who have called the Rouge their home extremely proud. You're on the front lines of Ford's and America's new era in electric manufacturing. And the Rouge plant and this plant are leading the way. The next revolution in American manufacturing is here. And it's a Ford revolution. All right. Uh, When I first heard Bill Ford talk, uh, you know, when they announced the Mach-E, I was like, man, I I don't believe that this guy means anything that he says he means. Because he was talking about Ford going green and how important that was to him and his wife. And I was like, this doesn't ring true. But I did some research and he's actually been saying this for a while. So I was wrong on that. And honestly, I was, (laughs) I kind of like that he was like, 
you know what? Some executives wanted to tear this down. They didn't want to go green. Uh, he said in the past that some executives didn't want to build EVs. And he fought for it. Now, I don't know how much you have to fight for it if you are the great-grandson of the company and you have a bunch of stock and, and sway. I don't know how big of a fight uh, that actually is. But I still uh, respect uh, what he stands for in this situation. So I think that's pretty cool. Next up, we're going to hear from the UAW representative. So let's go ahead and listen to her. Please welcome UAW Region 1A Director, Laura Dickerson. Today, through hard work, quality building, and problem solving, we launched the electrification of America's best-selling vehicle, the Ford F-150. The F-150 Lightning we are building is the only full-size electric pickup available now with a starting price less than $40,000 for customers across the U.S. from this ultra-modern Rouge Electric Vehicle Center within our historic Rouge Complex. All right, I understand what she's doing here. She's rallying up the troops, and I have no hate for unions. I am pro-union. I'm part of a union. I'm happy, and I'm proud to be part of a union. But there were so many qualifiers in her speech about how this is the only electric truck in the United States that's built in Michigan, that's from, you know, built by the Ford company, that's built at the Rouge plant. This is the only one. Well, of course it's the only one because you're building it. Like there's not another one. There's not no other opportunity for that. Um also, I will say that the starting price at $40,000, that's for fleets. And just kind of an interesting thing, just to kind of roll it back here a little bit, Sunbelt Rentals will be purchasing 700 Ford F-150 Lightnings. Now, I don't know if they're going to rent these out to customers or not. It sounds like these trucks are for employees. But if any of them make their way to be rented, I would love to rent one because I think that would be pretty cool. But the $40,000 version is not for you and me. Uh, that's for fleets. Our price starts at $50,000, and that is like 230 miles. So um, pretty steep price for pretty low miles. Still a great truck. Still excited to see it. So today, we salute the men and women who have made the Rouge the legendary auto assembly plant it has been through history. And we take a moment to celebrate the launch of this new era of vehicles assembled right here by UAW members in that great tradition. Our members are proud of their legacy, and the Lightning today becomes part of the legacy of UAW Local 600 and our heritage at the Rouge. Today, brothers and sisters, we launch the future, the Ford F-150 Lightning, made in America, made by UAW Ford members. All right. Now, we've eaten our vegetables. We, we've, we've got all that nutrition. Let's get to the dessert. And the dessert happens to be CEO Jim Farley. Now, I'm going to say that I find this guy to be arrogant and a little bit irritating. I don't want to... I, I shouldn't have said that. I don't want to bias your opinion of him. Um, but on the other side, uh, like he rubs me the wrong way. Having said that, let's go ahead and listen to Jim. Uh, thank you. How about these trucks? Is that awesome or what? Bill, 
as you said, this is really history in the making, and it's your vision that's now come to life. I want to echo something that Bill said uh, right off the bat. This day would not be possible if not for the men and women at the Rouge. Our UAW partners, all of our suppliers, everyone in the Ford family who worked together and did whatever it took to get the range a little longer, the payload a little higher, the software smarter, the frunk a little bigger. We have team members from the Rouge here, like Brian Palmer and Ken Hattishell, who believe in this truck so much that they're going to purchase one themselves and they're going to be able to build their own truck. Pretty cool. I really hope they get a very steep discount if they have to build their own truck. I mean, I know they get the, the, the Ford discount, but I hope it's, I hope it's a good discount. You did whatever it took. You met us at this moment. That's when Ford is at its best. It began with the Model T and the moving assembly line to put our country on wheels. Then the B-24 Liberators when we went to war. And the ventilators when the pandemic hit the United States. And so many more instances. Whenever the world needed us, we met the moment with American ingenuity and American muscle. And right now, the world needs zero emissions vehicles. And more importantly, it needs us to bring them to the many, not just the few. And that's why we built these trucks specifically. They are not a vanity project. There are no gimmicks. This is not for PR or for Wall Street. We built a truck so people can use it in their daily lives. The F-150, as Bill said, is the best-selling truck in the United States for 45 years straight and the best-selling vehicle in this country for a damn good reason. And every one of those reasons is in the DNA of every one of these lightnings. But I'll tell you what. Electrification gives you features you've never seen in a truck before. Instant torque, incredible acceleration. I've driven on the track, and the president said it best. This sucker is quick. Zero to 60 in four seconds. I mean, that is supercar category. And it tows with ease, like there's nothing behind you. And the ride is so smooth, you'd swear you were in a Lincoln. You won't believe this is a truck. And you want power for your hobbies and your life? Lightning is a 10 kilowatt power plant, but on wheels. You can move it wherever you want. And to get that power to your life, yeah, we put two outlets in the cab, but we put four in the frunk and five in the bed. More than that, though, it's an open platform for our customers and the innovation and creativity that they'll apply and use this truck for. Listen to this. How about a ripping 20,000 sheets of plywood with your circular saw with one charge? 20,000 sheets. Or an off-grid wedding in Yosemite. Or a block party that lasts the weekend and the next week. You can even charge other EVs for your friends that own Teslas. 
Solid burn, Jim. Um, I do want to remind you that your vehicle, your $50,000 vehicle, has 230 miles of range. The lowest range um, on a Tesla vehicle is 280 miles. Now, let's assume that you are not using LFP batteries, because I don't think you are. You can only charge that 230-mile truck um to 80% if you want to keep the the battery in good shape. So you're looking at about 180 miles, between 180 and 200 miles uh, of working range. So I don't know that you would want to, even if you could, charge another vehicle because you would probably put yourself in dire straits. Now, if you want to spend $50,000 and get a 230-mile range pickup truck, that, I think that's great because honestly... I think this is a good truck. I'm not bashing the truck. But if you're going to start throwing shade, um, the Hyundai Ionic 5 starts at 305 miles range. And it's it's in the same category price-wise, about $50,000. I think even the $40,000 one starts at 305 miles range. So, yeah, man, you got a lot of work to do to to make up that range. But solid burn. That wasn't fair, was it? But so what? We're going to go find out. We're going to find out all sorts of crazy usages for that 10 kilowatts that we never imagined. I can't wait to see all of that. And plug it in overnight, and you got a full charge every morning, unlike your ICE F-150, 320-mile range every morning. I do feel like I need to point out that 320 mile range is for a $70,000 vehicle. And you probably don't need to charge that every night, but I get what he's saying here. Let's jump back in. It can power your home in an outage. And we know that's a real thing at Ford. And because lightning offers this bi-directional power with solar energy integration, you can actually power not only your house, zero emissions, but your truck too. It's got a mega power frunk that's tough enough to carry 400 pounds of concrete, but is waterproof enough for your dirtiest gear. And hell, you tell me how many beers you'd be able to fit in that frunk <laughs> during your tailgate. We even gave it a cabin like a hotel suite. It's got more shoulder room and more leg room than any EV on the market. It is so much larger than any EV you've ever sat in. But Lightning is so much more than just space and power and payload and propulsion. Our customers are going to love the digital experience. In fact, the one thing that we heard from customers is they're just blown away at the information the way it's displayed. And you know, this truck is going to evolve every night over there with over there updates. In the morning, when you get in, you're going to get new features. Maybe it's more range, new driving modes. There's an endless ways that we will take advantage of all the embedded cameras, the lights at night, the scales are on board. Just wait to see what those OTAs do for features as you own the truck. Every morning, something's different. It's like a smartphone that can tow 10,000 pounds. And with Blue Cruise, 
Lightning drivers can go hands-free in many highway conditions. In fact, now at Ford, our customers have done more than 2.5 million miles hands-free. And, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about truck owners, but we know at Ford, they love their technology, and they're going to love this truck, as Bill said. And if you've never bought a Ford before, welcome to our family. You, our customers, are going to get capability no other EV truck can ever offer but for thousands of dollars less than our competitors' trucks whenever they actually go on sale. Gross. Our truck is here today because we rolled up our sleeves. We re rediscovered our roots around innovation. We worked together, and now we're busting our butts to make more of these. Demand for lightning has literally pushed out the walls of this building where we are, twice. Right in the middle of the first expansion, we went right to the team and said, that's great, but can you make the factory a little bigger? We've expanded this plant to produce 150,000 lightnings a year. That's a lot of jobs here in America. And we're not going to stop with this beautiful truck. We will produce 600,000 EVs a year by the end of next year. I wish we could bring you all down there, but we're already pushing dirt down in Blue Oval City in Tennessee for another electric pickup truck that's different than this one. So... We're going to be ready for two million electric vehicles four years from now. We have every intention of being the number one electric pickup maker and then with the huge investments, $50 billion in EVs, battery manufacturing, our expanded lineup, which you have not seen yet, we plan to challenge Tesla and all comers to become the top EV maker in the world. That's someone, no, something that no one would have believed just two years ago from us. Take a look at this truck and believe it. A truck that's made in America. A truck that's made in Detroit. Okay, so he mentioned that every night there's going to be an over-the-air update. I don't think that that's true. So I'm not saying this to correct him. I'm just saying I, that's not reasonable. And I don't think that that's true. So I guess I'm correcting him. Anyway, 600,000 cars is a lot. Um, I think that would be a hard number to hit if you've already sold out of your F-150s, which are only building 150,000 this year. Um, they're going to have to build a lot of capacity. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I don't know if they can do it. That seems like a lot. I, I, I admire their gumption. I'm just not sure if they can hit that next year. But it'd be awesome if they did. And then he mentioned that Blue Oval City in uh, Tennessee. And I'm, I said this earlier in the episode, but I'm going to repeat it here. VW has a plant in <laughs> Tennessee. Ford has a plant, uh, they're building in Tennessee. At some point, 
they are going to be working on an electric uh, truck platform together. I'm sure it's going to be like a VW version and a Ford version if this actually happens. That's that's really intriguing. James from True North EVs, when this happened, sent me a message and he's like, do you think this is going to be a Ranger, a Maverick, or a heavy-duty truck? At first, when he sent this, and this is before I knew about the VW stuff, I would have said heavy-duty truck. But honestly, I think this might be a Ranger or a Maverick Um and it's not, it's probably not going to be called a Ranger or a Maverick. It's probably going to be called something else, but I think it's going to be about that size, the, the smaller size pickups. All right, everybody, we have finished the lightning launch. Let's go ahead and roll into the earnings call. Before we get to our opening clip, I want, I just want to let you know, there are a lot of different companies that I could cover in terms of earnings calls. These uh, actually take quite a long time to put together. And this one episode actually started it at nine o'clock this morning. And I had a lot of things done before I started recording. So I started recording at nine o'clock this morning and it is now 11 p.m. at night. Now I haven't been working on this episode this entire time, um, but I've been working on it for a lot of the day. So it takes a lot of time to put these things together. Um, so if you want me, I'm always going to do Tesla, but if you want me to do another, um, EV manufacturer, then just let me know and I will do it during that quarter, but I may not do it the next quarter unless you specifically request it. Um, and also Ford does a lot. Um, they have a financing arm, they have, you know, um, ice vehicles. They have, they have, they're into a lot of stuff. Um, I'm only going to cover the EV parts of their earnings calls. So, um, the nice part of that is that they're quite a bit shorter than Tesla's because Tesla's is all EVs. I do want to let you know that Ford lost $3.1 billion this quarter. And I skipped over the fancy pants, um, finance speak because, you know, I don't understand that anyway. So we skipped over that. Now, let's go ahead and get to CEO Jim Farley's opening remarks. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Lynn. And thanks for joining our first quarter 2022 earnings call. Yesterday, I was with Bill Ford and our incredible team at the Rouge factory where my grandfather worked to celebrate job one for the F-150 Lightning. We were also proud as a team for delivering a truly breakthrough electric truck and delivering it on time as a launch. The excitement around the truck is like nothing I've ever seen in my career. In fact, the power went out in the facility and we ran most of the presentation with F-150 Pro Power on board. While we have work ahead to fully scale production and fill an extraordinary order bank, both for our retail Lightning customers and Ford Pro, make no mistake, This is a very important moment for us at Ford. We're accelerating our significant transformation. We have the right plan called Ford Plus. We're putting in place the right organization. As you know, on March 2nd, we announced our plan to form two distinct but interdependent business units called Ford Model E and Ford Blue. Together with Ford Pro, these three automotive businesses allow us to clearly define and assign priorities, make the most of our existing strengths, but also build new strategic muscles and most importantly, capabilities. 
Ford Model E is responsible for delivering clean sheet, breakthrough EV designs, software advanced uh, electric um, architectures, partial autonomy, and Ford Blue's mission is to deliver a more vibrant and profitable ICE business, a business that's going to serve in the short term as our profit and cash engine for the entire enterprise. So what have we learned since March 2nd? And what are we working on at Ford? In terms of Model E, first, it's very clear to us that battery capacity is the key unlock to our EV aspirations and propel our growth in the future. We're in good shape in the near term. In the medium and long term, securing raw materials, processing precursor and refinement, and setting up battery production here in the U.S. and around the world is a big work statement for us. Expect a lot of news from Ford in the future related to the vertical integration of our EV business. Second, we're getting, we're getting after our talent gap in key areas, EV engineering, software, and autonomous driving technology. We have a very good start already, and we will continually be very aggressive on recruiting talent. Third, we're now deep into discussions with our dealer partners around the globe, but especially in North America, on brand new standards that are required to launch a completely different customer experience that is leaner and better for our customers that we believe will not only be competitive, but superior to a solely direct model. We're drafting standards as we speak and plan to roll these out this year. Finally, we're crafting our EV future product pipeline and are focused on a small number of highly compelling, highly volume models in key segments where we already lead. I want to make this very clear. Some companies seem to be pursuing a strategy of trying to match Model Y's volume with eight or nine top hats. That's not a winning plan in our view. We will focus on key volume nameplates, constraint capital, because we have it, but really to leverage scale and efficiency to reach and eventually exceed our 8% EBIT target for EVs. I want to be clear here that as we move forward, our EV designs will be progressive and they're going to be aimed at bringing new customers to Ford and Lincoln. They will not be electric versions of our existing lineup. All right. I think this is a, a good opening remarks. Um, couple of things that I'm, I'm curious about. I, I don't understand what he was talking about with the Model Y and the 10 hats on it, like 10 top hats. Like, are, are they saying, I don't know what they're saying. I'm not even going to guess. But a um, couple of things, right? I, I wonder if the power really went out uh, during the presentation. And if it did, cool. Um, you probably should have mentioned that in the presentation that the presentation was being powered by the Ford lightning right now, as we speak, that would have been actually pretty cool. The other thing, uh, if you don't know what Ford pro to, pro is Ford pro is for fleets, not retail customers. And you mentioned that, and they mentioned that they had supply chain issues, you know, it's supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. Everybody's got supply chain issues. Interesting that they have 53,000 vehicles, um, 
mostly built, but awaiting key components. Um, Doug Field is their Ford chief, is Ford's chief advanced technology and embedded systems officer. He came from Tesla. And you know what? I bet you there are a bunch of people who worked under him or worked with him who would love to come to Ford and Ford has the money to pay them. Um, Tesla now has the money to pay them as well. Um, he mentioned that Ford was working with their dealers to create a leaner, uh, buying experience. I wonder if this means that Ford is going to start cutting out dealers. Like it's a direct to consumer type model, but maybe, you know, the Ford dealership gets like a little bit of money to, you know, take delivery of the truck, clean it up and then deliver it to the customer, whether that's at the Ford dealership or at the customer's home. But it sounds to me that sounded like they were going to be minimizing the dealer's interaction with customers. And if you remember right, when the Ford F-150 first came out, there were some dealers that were tacking on huge amounts of money just because they can. They, they, they were tacking on like $20,000 in some cases extra to the price of the F-150 because, uh, those people have no morals. So. Yeah, it was a lot. Like recently, I was just looking, just for fun mostly, I was looking at the Hyundai Ioniq 5, and the dealers are tacking on an extra $5,000 for that car right now. Now, I'm never going to pay a dealer an extra $5,000 to for the privilege to buy from them. That is not a dealer I'm going to be dealing with. But they're doing it, and they seem to be getting away with it. Um, I really liked... And, and I'm looking forward to Ford creating EV models that we haven't seen yet. And it's just not an electrification of their existing lineup. I think that's great. I would like to point out the F-150, the E-Transit, and to a lesser extent, the Mach-E do just that. They are, um, <laughs> yeah, they are, uh, they are, they are ex- electric versions of the existing products. So. I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next. I'm looking forward to the electric vehicle that looks exactly like the Ford Bronco, but is called the Ford E-Ronco. I'm looking forward to that. All right, let's get into the analyst questions. First one. The next question comes from John Murphy of Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Please go ahead. Uh, good evening, everybody. Um, I, I just wanted to ask a, a question sort of on, on the growth side, Jim. Um, I mean, the F-150 Lightning orders it sound like they're mostly incremental um, buyers, folks that haven't been Ford or F-150 buyers before. Uh, I, I'm just curious if you think that is just sort of a surge here at the launch of the truck, or is this sort of 15 to 20 percent uh, you know, sort of incremental orders relative to sort of the base F-150, something you think will, will, will stick around? I mean, because obviously that's very powerful potentially to your earnings. And do you expect the profitability of this truck over time to – have a variable margin that would be similar to the F-150 and to sort of be even a little bit more verbose, do you expect the same kind of thing with the 250, 350 Lightning, which you launched in two or three years? <laughs> well, I, I didn't know we announced that, but um, but thank you very much for, for your question. Um, I, I'd like to maybe ask uh, Doug to come in here and, and talk about the levers we have on the profit side. But so far, uh, it's very clear to us that the Lightning customers are incremental. And as you said, it's early days. We capacitized, in the end of the day, the facility that we were in is about 80,000 units. 
we'll almost double that by the end of next year. Um, and I, I would say at this point, the customer profile is dramatically younger. It's in states like California and New York that we normally don't sell full-size trucks. We do have some uh, lots of orders in, in, uh, in Texas. Um, it's it's uh, higher education that we see. And what they're interested in is different about the truck. Um, so I, I think it's very clearly uh, so far incremental. Now, when we get into volume production, 150,000 units, that may change. Um, and we'll see that with the order as we order uh, open the order bank again for the next model year this summer. Um, Doug, do you want to highlight the opportunities you see um, maybe uh, on F-150 Lightning, but more generically on, on our, our next product? Sure. Um, to start with, I'm really excited about what we're building off of in Ford Strength. Um, these are cost bases that I'm drooling over in terms of the future products. But when we talk about EVs specifically, the first thing we have to do is really control the battery materials and the chemistry. Uh, they are the single largest uh, bill of materials opportunity, of course. But the next is really obsessing over how we use those materials and, and chemistries. Uh, energy efficiency is a religion, and the team's really stepping up to this. Every single watt of consumption is, is now being tracked and optimized. And on, on the new programs, changes in aerodynamics and drive unit optimization, we're seeing dozens of miles of improvement um, in range. That's hundreds and even some cases thousands of dollars of battery that we can take out. Uh, finally, I think really going after a true ground-up approach to how we build EVs. They're different than internal combustion vehicles, and you could take advantage of that and really change uh, the number of in our next series EV factory, we're going to have on the main line half the stations that we use today to build a lightning. So I'm I'm very optimistic um, with this journey that we have uh, some some really good ground to make up on margin. So what I'm reading into this statement was is that there's a lot of improvements to be made. I mean, I keep harping on this and it's, it's, I think it's a fair criticism, but it's also a little too, it's a little much for me to continue to talk about it, but the 230 mile battery pack for the base model, um, that's a, that honestly, that should be something that they're easily able to overcome next year. Um, and maybe we get up to 280, closer to 300 miles and keep the cost of the vehicle the same. Like to go from 230 miles to 320 miles costs an extra $20,000 in the F-150 Lightning. That is a lot of money. Um, and I don't, I don't, I'm sure you get other things because, you know, traditional automakers have weird packages they, they, they do for their vehicles. But for that price, for that $20,000, but you should be able to offer a reasonable range for your customers that doesn't cost an extra $20,000. I think that's a little much. If you want to keep the 230 miles, I think that's great. You know, some people, they'll be able to afford the truck and it's going to be 230 miles, but other people want the extra range without the extra baggage. But again, lots of room for improvement. So let's go ahead and jump into our next question. 
The next question comes from Colin Langan of Wells Fargo. Please go ahead. Oh, great. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, EV battery costs have, have really dramatically increased. Um, has that changed your EV strategy at all? Do you think you're going to need to, to, to maybe raise the pricing of the Lightning and the Mach-E? And, you know, what can you do about it? Or you know, maybe switch to different chemistries, um, roll out more hybrids? Uh, how can you address it if, if, if raw materials stay at these very high levels for that, those battery materials? Thank you for your question. Well, you know, first of all, um, the demand for EVs right now is extremely robust at Ford. So we have the opportunity, we believe, for, for pricing. We're not going to get into those details uh, now. But, I, you know, Doug said something very important, Colin, I want to emphasize, which is battery chemistry. We believe very strongly at Ford, the chemistry will be a really key part of, of our protection against commodity price increases and, frankly, the benefits to the customer. Doug, do you want to add anything? No, Ford, uh, a number of years ago, started Ion Park, which is a team of experts really focusing on chemistry. Uh, lithium iron phosphate, of course, um, we know from the industry is something that takes you away from the dependence on nickel that will be a part of our future. And we're also looking chemistries that um, give us an opportunity to be less dependent on the specific materials that everyone seems to be fighting over in the market. So, so in the short and, term, and can you, you know, we, we can increase LFP. Oh, go, go ahead with your question. Sorry, Colin. Yeah, I was just going to say you mentioned you're, you're able to do LFP or you're, that's in the plan. I mean, how quickly can you switch because nickel's like now, I mean, I'm just kind of wondering how flexible and how quick you could adapt for that, you know, 2 million target by 2026. Yeah, we've been working on LFP for quite some time. So let's just leave it at that. Um, what I mean by that is engineering LFP solutions in our first generation of products, something that um, we see as a big opportunity and to move quickly. You know what, if, if they, if Ford backed a truckload of money up into my driveway and just kind of dumped it off and like, hey, consult with us, the only thing I would tell them with my very limited knowledge on this subject would be like, hey, go all in on LFP batteries because right now the cost of nickel and all these other things is so high, cobalt, so high that the LFP batteries keeps you in a good place, you know, financially. And it seems to be a pretty versatile battery and it can take some abuse. It's not perfect. It doesn't have the same energy density as a nickel manganese battery does, but it's still like, it's a good solid choice for a battery. And that would be my recommendation. I don't think anybody wants to know <laughs> what I think though. Let's go ahead and move on to our next clip. Next question comes from Ryan Brinkman of J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Hi. 
Hi, thanks for taking my question. Uh, as we near the, I think, 180-day lockup expiry on your investment in Rivian, uh, how are you thinking about the options available to you in terms of this investment going forward? Are you maybe uh, more inclined to retain some or all of the stake given uh, the recent decline in Rivian shares? And if you were to monetize it, you know, how are you thinking about uh, the use of any potential proceeds? Could you maybe uh, use them to accelerate your own electrification efforts, or are you maybe already uh, devoting all the resources necessary there and so would uh, perhaps look to prioritize other opportunities, uh, I don't know, maybe shareholder-friendly actions. How are you thinking about uh, these options? Yeah, unfortunately, at this point, we're not going to comment on Rivian. Man, I thought this question was so good. This guy had, he threw so much stuff in this question. And I figured at least one of the things that he touched on, Ford would, would be like, okay, here's the one thing we can glom onto without really saying anything. And they, they just said, you know, what? we're not going to talk about it. I thought it was a good question. And the, the answer made me laugh. Let's get to the next question. Okay, great. Let me try one on Argo then. Uh, I recall you saying on an earlier call that you're uh, supportive of Argo AI's potential uh, tapping of public equity. Is, is there any update you can provide there in terms of you know where Argo may be with that process or just what is the latest you're thinking about in terms of their overall strategy and trajectory? What has been maybe the, the early result of some of your trials of robo-taxis on the Lyft network or in various cities uh, beyond Miami? Thank you. Well, first of all, uh, Argo and Brian continue to make great progress technically on the SDS uh, for level four autonomy. We're very happy with uh, with the technical progress. Number two, we really see maybe different than others, level two, level three, and level four as two distinct products. Yes, Argo could help us with our semi-autonomous capability. But we feel like that would be a big distraction for them, which we do not want them distracted at all. And number three, you know, it's taking time uh, and this is expensive stuff. And so from our standpoint, getting access to the capital markets is very critical to give us the flexibility to continue to fund this for many years to come. One thing I would say is we're very focused on partners that uh, that would be aligned strategically with Argo, use cases that would be very material in the deployment of Argo's technology. Uh, and we're getting more and more interested as a company, uh, maybe a bit of a strategic shift on goods movement. It's aligned with our commercial vehicle business uh, and our customers uh, feel they're getting more and more interested in middle mile specifically. Uh, I think that's a material update for Argo and hope, hopefully that helps you. All right. I didn't actually know who Argo AI was. Like this is the first I've ever heard of them. And I've actually looked them up a little bit and I'm not going to talk about them because we're way long on this episode, but I might talk about them soon in an in upcoming episode. But uh, one of the things that I got from this or maybe i misread what they were saying but is ford gonna build an electric semi truck because they had some things earlier in the earnings call that i cut out they kind of made me think that they were thinking about it but i cut it out because i thought yeah that that sounds crazy but when i re-listened to this clip i'm like mm, maybe it's not as crazy as i thought it would be something to think about 
All right, everybody. That is it for me. Ooh, this is a long show. Uh, next next week will be at normal length, uh, just your standard everyday kilowatt show. But if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. You can email me, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. You can follow me on Twitter at 918digital. And yeah, I hope everybody has a great week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed putting it together. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.